Uh, as you're being seated, if you could squeak to the middle. I know we've got a packed house this morning. That's a good problem to have, but if you're able to scoot a little, that would be uh, definitely appreciated. This morning, we are continuing on in a series called Sanctified. Uh, my name is Steve. For those of you I don't know, I'm one of, one of the pastors here at Harvest. And last week, our lead pastor, Ken and Vaughn, kicked us off in this series entitled Sanctified. It's really a continuation from a series we did last summer titled Justified. Justified, uh, we looked last summer at Romans chapters 3 four, and five. And what we saw in that series was this, that a perfectly holy, righteous, and just God, we cannot enter into his presence based upon our good works or our uh, religious efforts and our religious practices or based upon our uh, family of lineage. We can't enter into God's presence based upon any of those things. We can only enter into God's presence for eternity based on a sinless substitute, a perfectly holy God. We can only enter in his presence by a perfect substitute, and that substitute is Jesus Christ, who lived a life we could not live, died a death that we deserved for our sin to cover us. And that is, once that happens, we are justified. It's just as if I've never sinned. If you weren't here with us last summer, uh, that series is actually still available online. It was a four-week series Well, once you are justified before God, a necessary process begins in your life. There's nothing you can do to prevent it. It starts a process called sanctification. Now, sanctification is a big word. It's a uh, five-syllable word, and whether you're new to church or you've been in church your whole life, it's probably not a word you use a whole lot. It's sort of like when I go to Starbucks and the person in front of me orders a grande, non-fat, no-sugar, iced peppermint, white chocolate mocha, and I'm thinking, what on earth did they just get? Does does that even have any coffee in it? And then when it becomes my turn to order, I still can't figure out, is a tall taller than a grande, or is a grande more grande than a tall? So when they ask me the size, I I don't even know what to say. Just, can I get a medium? You know, I I don't even know what to say. So if you're like me at Starbucks, when you come to church and sometimes you hear these words we use, know at Harvest we're not going to back off theologically rich words. We're not going to back off biblically accurate and true words, but what we hope is that we can explain what those mean so that we can come into understanding those, and sanctification is one of those. It's an important thing in our life, and Kenan gave us a great definition of that last week. He said, sanctification means to make holy for divine usage. To make holy for divine usage. By divine usage, we mean God-using For God's purposes, and the word holy, it means to set apart. To set apart. It's sort of like when my wife and I are having some people over for dinner. She'll cook these wonderful desserts, and me and the boys will all come in, and we can smell those desserts, and we want to go ahead and eat them, but we can't. They're set apart for the guests coming. Or my boys, during the summer, we allow our boys to choose their own clothes that they're going to wear. So just this week, one came down wearing an outfit that was green from head to toe. Another came down with a shirt that was way too small, pants way too big. Another came down with socks that didn't match. And we could care, really, it doesn't bother us at all. We're not worried about it. But when school starts, there's certain clothes they've got to wear. And each night before school, my wife will take and set apart school clothes that they're going to wear the next day. They're set apart for a special purpose, and that's what God does with us. 
He sets us apart to be used for His purposes, for His glory, for His fame, for His name, rather than us living primarily for our name, our purpose, our comfort in this world, our ease in this world. We find our comfort in God. Rather than find our security in this world, we find our security in God. God wants to set us apart as holy. That's what holy means. We're set apart for His purposes. And as I mentioned, once a person is born again, a new creation, once you trust the message of Jesus Christ that he died for your sins and sin, death could not hold him down, that he rose from the dead, once you trust that message, you are necessarily in this process called sanctification. What sanctification is, it's the activity by which God liberates the Christian from the power of sin, and how far we go in experiencing sanctification, our death to sin, how far we go in experiencing it in this lifetime depends on our cooperation with what God is doing in our lives. See, today we're going to talk about how does the believer respond to God's sanctifying work in our life. God is going to do it, but we've got a response in how fully and how joyfully we experience God in this life. Is it dependent upon us cooperating, allowing Him to sanctify us? Well, today we're in Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6 will be in verses 8 through 14. And Romans is a book written by Paul. Paul wrote it. He had never been to Rome when he wrote this book. In fact, he's writing to them saying, I want to come visit you. But before I come visit you, he's writing this letter from Corinth. He says, I've got this money that the churches in Achaia and Macedonia have given me. I'm going to take it to Jerusalem, and then I'm selling to Spain. Paul could not wait to go to Spain because no one had ever heard the good news of Jesus Christ there. So he said, I'm going to go to Spain, and on my way, I'm going to stop by and visit the church in Rome. Now, we don't know how the church in Rome started. Paul did not start the church in Rome. Most believe that when some Jewish pilgrims from Rome went down to Jerusalem, uh, maybe on the day of Pentecost, they heard the gospel and returned and started this church. And this church was thriving. It was growing. It was influential. Yet it wasn't grounded. So what Paul is writing to them in the book of Romans is not merely his itinerary. He's writing to them the essentials and the essence of our Christian faith. In fact, they asked some Christian scholars, they said, if you could only have two books of your Bible, which books would you have? And the book that came out number one is Romans. Because it's essential to understanding who we are in Christ and what he has done in and through us and what he continues to work out in us. Romans has been called the constitution of Christianity. The the manifesto of what it means to be a Christian. And in Romans 6, what we look at today is Paul is going to stress this. What Jesus has done for us and what he is doing in us and what we are to do. What we are to do. What he's stressing is this. That in our daily experience of living, we must actualize victory over sin. That only comes through Jesus. So let's look, let's read. If you would please stand uh, for the reading of God's word. We're in Romans chapter 6, verses 8 through 14. Hear the word of God. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer uh, has dominion over him. 
For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourself to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under the law, but under grace. This is the word of God for the people of God. And all God's people said, praise be to God. You may be seated. Well, today what we're answering the question is, what is going on with sin in my life? What is going on with sin in my life? What we've seen is that sin is dead. And in our first three verses today, we're going to see some rich theology that Paul has repeated over and over again. And then he's going to give us the first commands in the book of Romans. We're going to get our first three commands, and these commands are going to make up the point of our sermon. What we are to do. What is he commanding us? What is he calling us to do? So let's look in verse 8. He says, Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. Again, he repeats this over and over and over again. We've died with Christ. We're going to live with him. And yes, we will live with him in the future, in eternity. We're going to be God forever. But this is in the present tense. We're going to live with him now. Once you become a Christian, once you trust him, you live with Christ here and now. In verse 9, he says, we know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. And when he raised Lazarus from the dead, he died again. But Jesus, when he died on the cross and took sin upon him, sin could not hold him down and he raised from the dead. But he didn't die again. He ascended into heaven. Death no longer has dominion over Jesus Christ. It doesn't rule. It cannot reign. You see, the cross was the enemy's final move. Satan's final move upon God Almighty was the cross, seeing Jesus hanging on the cross, God himself there, but God had a trump card. Sin couldn't hold him down. He was resurrected and he lives. Satan is defeated. Game is over. So we see sin is defeated here. But look at this in verse 10. For the death he died, he died to sin once For all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. He died once. He only has to die once. He died once for all sin. You know what sin is? It's rebellion from God, but it's truly an expression of unbelief. Our sin is telling God we don't really trust him. We don't really believe in him. That's what the first sin was in the garden. The serpent tempts Eve. You can't really trust God. You can't can't really believe God, can you? And she is deceived by the serpent into believing that God is not worthy of our trust. Isn't that the same thing we still battle today? Can we really trust God with with our family, with our career, with our work, with all? Can we trust God with everything in my life? Can I hold on and control some things and let God have these things over here? 
Now, the sanctification process is God taking all of our life and us holding on to nothing. In verse 11, now he's going to move on. He's going to give us some commands. In light of this truth, he's going to give us three commands in the next three verses. Verse 11, so you must consider Consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. He says, consider, count, reckon, ponder, think about, know that you are dead to sin. That's the command. You are dead to sin. Know this, think about this, hold this in your mind. The verb is in a tense that tells us this. We are to constantly and definitely do this. You are to constantly remember, constantly consider that you are dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. We have to come back to this over and over and over again. And as you cooperate with God's grace-filled sanctification in your life, you have to daily live out of this new identity. You're different. You're, you're, you're not the same. Kenan mentioned it last week. He talked about a caterpillar caterpillar crawls on the ground it, it lives in the dirt a caterpillar is as earthly worldly focused as you can be that's all he thinks about yet when he goes in a cocoon he comes out and he comes out a, a beautiful butterfly he is constitutionally different he is transformed you see that's how different you are when you become a christian you are completely different scripture says that you are a new creation that you are born again. That we are designed to fly to higher heights and we no longer are going to find our joy and our satisfaction in this world primarily. We're going to find it in God Almighty. That's where it comes from. Yet many of us are like a butterfly who can fly to higher heights, but yet we still want to crawl around on the dirt trying to find our joy and satisfaction and our pleasure in this world rather than God Almighty. And if you're here and you're not changing in the way that you want to change, it just seems like you're stuck, you're not changing, know that you have everything you need in Jesus Christ. God has given you all you need. You do not lack for anything. You see, Scripture tells us that when we come to Christ, we are in Him. You are in Christ. So when God looks at you, He sees you the exact same way He sees Jesus. He sees you as sinless. He sees you as dead to sin. He sees us as he sees Christ. And not only are we in Christ, but the Holy Spirit comes and lives in us. God is in us. And we have power to live that way. You see, I, I'm not just talking about some positive thinking mumbo jumbo where we're to go, oh, I've got to keep thinking about I'm dead to sin and alive in Christ. No, that's the reality of who you are. That is true. That is true truth that you can hold on to. Hold on to, Christ really did die. Christ really did rise from the dead. He really does sit at the right hand of God Almighty. You really are in Christ. You really are different. You really are transformed. You really are changed. And you really can't go back even if you wanted to. Peter Marshall, they made a movie about him years ago. He was a chaplain to the Congress in the 1950s. He said this, he said, would they have too much of the world to enjoy God, but too much of God to enjoy the world? Now think about that. They have too much of this world to really enjoy God. And that's what you were made for. 
Let me tell you, your purpose is to enjoy God and find your pleasure in Him, but we have too much of the world to enjoy Him. But then we have too much in God to really enjoy this world. How, how true is that of you? Well, he says we are dead to sin. It's the first thing we got to know, but we are alive to Christ. I want, I want to give you some practicals here when he talks about we're alive to Christ. What he means is that we used to be dead to God, his word, prayer, his people. All those things were dead, his purposes, his holiness. We didn't care about any of that. But when you become a Christian, his word is illumined to you. His word is nourishment to your soul. You're new, you're transformed. Prayer becomes real, it becomes instinctual. God and his purposes and his glory become your, your great delight and your, and your great joy. Being around the people of God is a life-giving thing. Living out the Great Commission becomes a privilege. We are different when that happens. And you can try to put legalistic practices, do all these things to make yourself more like Christ, but apart from being in Christ, it'll never happen. It'll just lead to frustration. It's that we are in Christ and God is working in us and that we are allowing His Spirit to work and transform us and make us more like Him. That we realize that we are dead to sin. And He says because we are dead to sin, He says that we're to consider this over and over again. Constantly consider, recall, ponder. So here's the thing. When you feel temptation coming, and it's going to come, Remember, Jesus prayed, lead us not to temptation. Temptation's coming. It will come. Ponder. Consider that you are dead to that sin, that that sin cannot hold you. Ponder that Jesus, on the cross, took the sin upon him, and he defeated it in the resurrection. You're alive to Christ. You're dead to sin. And hold that in your mind until that sin, that temptation, leaves because you are dead to it. That is reality. That's what the Bible teaches us. That's reality for the Christian, that we are dead to sin. That's true of us. John Murray, theologian, states this, Nothing is more relevant to sanctification than the reckoning of ourselves as dead to sin and alive to God through Christ Jesus. So here's the thing. If you forget everything I say today, and stats tell me you'll forget most everything I say today, can you hold on to one thing? If, if, if you leave this place and you can't hold on to much, can you hold on to one thing? Consider yourself dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Consider yourself dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. If you can hold on to that, that'll take you a long way. In verse 12, he's going to give us our second command. Let not sin, therefore, reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. That word for reign there, it's the verb form of the word king. You see, there is a king of king and lord of lords. His name is Jesus Christ. And when you trust him, you recognize that he is king of kings and he is lord of lords. But our enemy, he wants to take over the kingship. He wants to be in charge. And that enemy, we're told here, is sin. And it wants to reign in your body. You see, when you become a Christian, everything about you is new. You are completely transformed. You are a new creation. There's only one thing that's not new about us. Our bodies. We drag around these bodies of death. Our bodies are falling apart. They're not getting better. We can exercise all we want. These bodies will keep falling apart. 
We drag them around. They crave the sin of this world. And that's where the enemy wants to reign. The battle here is with the body. He wants to reign and rule, and he's got servants to help him. Look at this. He says, to make you obey its passions. That word passions is neither positive or negative. It can go either way. Sin wants to make you obey its passions. You see, we can either be passionate about for the glory of God, for His fame, for finding our delight and our joy in God Almighty, or we can find our delight in ourself and our purposes and what we want. Uh, sin wants to make us obey its passions, make us obey lust, anger, greed, strife, gossip, covetousness, laziness, irresponsibility, uh, pride, lying, theft. Sin wants to reign. It doesn't just say it wants to come in. It wants to come in and take over and reign and rule. And here, it wants to deceive us. You know, for some of us, we're sitting here thinking, you know, I've got a lot of those sins. I, I sort of don't stay away from the really, really bad ones. The enemy is so deceptive, he can take a great thing and place it in a sinful position in our life. Do you know that? Take your career. Your career most likely is a great thing. But if your career becomes ultimate, if your career becomes more important than God in your life, then it is in a position it was never meant to be in. It was never meant to reign and rule and determine everything. No, God is. Or let's, let's come a little closer to home. Take your family. Whew. Man, we're, we're, we're called to love and honor and cherish our family. But if my family becomes ultimate in my life, if my family reigns in my life, it has a position God never designed for it to have. God is to be over our family. See, sin wants to deceive us. It wants to reign. It wants to rule in your life. C.S. Lewis gives a picture of this in his book called The Great Divorce. There's this man, and he has this red lizard. And it's on his shoulders. Its claws have dug in. And it continually whispers sin and filth and all sorts of awful things to this man. Well, an angel comes up to the man and says, Jimmy, take the lizard from you. And the man says, you know, I, I've had this lizard since he was really small, and, and, and I'm rather used to him, and, and, I, and I sort of like him, and I, I, I'll keep him. And the angel says, well, you'll never be able to be all that you're supposed to be. You'll never be able to soar to the true heights that God has designed for you. You'll never really be able to be with God with that lizard. So after much conversation, the angel is allowed to take the lizard. And the lizard has dug his claws in deep into the man's shoulders and the angel rips the lizard from the man's shoulders. And it's in great pain to the man and he takes the lizard and he breaks the lizard's back and throws it to the ground. The lizard is dead. But at that point in the book, in C.S. Lewis's book, the lizard turns into a stallion which the man is then, that sin is dead, he's now able to move on to higher heights and live more fully how God has designed him to. And he boards the stallion and goes and lives and rides to higher heights. See, sin wants to reign. It'll come in small, but sin, ultimately, it wants to rule. And the battle is in our bodies. Our bodies have to be broken to sin. And let me tell you, you can go to all sorts of meetings, you can read all sorts of books. You can have all sorts of spiritual experiences, but you've still got to deal with your body. You can try aesthetic practices. You can try legalism. You can try whatever you think, intellectualism, all these things, but you've still got to deal at the end of the day with your body. It wants to take over. Paul says, I buffet my body and I make it a slave. He says, I make no provision for the body. He says to flee in morality. 
You see, we still struggle with sin. Though it's dead to us, we still struggle. You know, my body doesn't care about my seminary degrees. It doesn't care that I'm a pastor. It doesn't care that I really want to glorify God with my life. My body doesn't care that I read the Bible, that I pray, that I memorize Scripture. When I'm done with all that, my body just goes, Hey, great, can we get on to some greed, to some jealousy, to a little lust? Can we move on to satisfying this fallen flesh? Remember, Jesus prayed, lead us not to temptation. He didn't pray, lead us not into sin, because if you can avoid the temptation, if you're not led there, the sin won't follow. Sometimes we've got to be wise. Be wise about what causes you to be tempted and what leads you into sin, the places, the people, the situations, and, and know that these differ for different people and these differ at different places and times in your life. I remember when I was in college, my first couple of years I was involved with a fraternity, and then midway through I, I got involved with a campus ministry and really began to seek and pursue the Lord. I remember one time I friends from the fraternity called and said, hey, we're getting together, we're going to watch the game, it's going to be a party, do you want to come? And I thought, I'd love to come. But I know that as soon as I walk in, temptation's going to be there. And I know I'm not in a position right now where I'm strong enough to handle that, and sin's going to get on my shoulder and it's going to begin to grow and grow and grow and take over. No, I can't come. Instead, I went and hung out with my friends from the campus ministry instead. See, at different times, at different places, we've got to know where the temptation comes to our body and be wise about that. So here he says, sin wants to reign. And the command is this, do not let sin reign. Don't give it a foothold. It wants it, all it wants is a little crack and then it'll grow and grow and grow. Let's look at the third command, verse 13. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourself to God as those who have been brought from death to life. Your members to God as instruments for righteousness. This is the third command. Don't present your bodies, your instruments for unrighteousness, but for righteousness. This word present could also be translated as yield. Now, now that word instrument... What it's talking about is our eyes, our ears, our mouth, our, our tongue, our hands, our feet, our mind, our sexual organs, our will. All those things are instruments. Don't allow them to be used for unrighteousness. Don't present them to unrighteousness. Don't yield them to unrighteousness. Yield them to righteousness is what he's telling us. You know, our body is to be a testimony of God's work in our lives. The, the Christian should be coming more and more and more holy, more set apart for God's purposes. We're still in this world, but we're more and more set apart. We look different. There's something different to us. There's a sweetness of God in our lives as we are transformed to be more like Him. See, as God sanctifies us and as we allow Him to work in and through us, we should become more like His Son. Augustine, he recognizes the greatest theologian of the early church and perhaps the greatest theologian ever. Before he became a Christian, he struggled with his relationships with women. And after he was a Christian, one day he was walking down the street and one of his mistresses, his former mistresses, came up to him. And this was one he was particularly fond of. 
And she began to try to entice him to go with her. Come with me. Come with me. And he said, politely said, no, I can't go with you. And Augustine turned and began to walk away. And as he walked away, it dawned on the woman, he doesn't recognize me. So she cried out, Augustine, Augustine, it's I. To which Augustine turned around and said to her, I know, but it's not I. What Augustine was saying is, I am different. I am transformed. It's not me any longer. I used to be a person who had as her master having to have uh, sin and affection from women, and that reigned and ruled in my life. But now I've got a new master. His name is Jesus Christ. I am different. I'm not who I used to be. And for us, it may be some different things. You may be a person who, who would say, you know, I used to crumble under criticism because I had to have human approval. I live for the approval of people. Or you, or you may say, I used to be a person who took advantage of others because I had to feel powerful and significant. Or, or I, have, I used to struggle with self-pity, always feeling sorry for myself because I felt like everybody else had done me wrong and owed me something. I used to be a person who was angry when things didn't go my way because I've got to be in control. Or I used to be a person who would hurt other people because I was so hurt. But that's not who I am anymore. We are transformed. God has changed us. We are dead to sin. We're alive in Christ. We live differently. Just last month, I took um, a group of our youth and our youth leaders down to Belize. And uh, we were partnering with a ministry partner down there who works with some local churches in this village. And um, we were building a fence. Sort of as meaningless that sounds, we were building a fence. But it was what the ministry partner needed, and we worked hard. I told the youth, I said, it'll be light construction. And they all laughed at me when we got there and said, this isn't light construction. They worked hard all week long. And the kids at the school would come out, and we'd play with the kids. Kids would be hanging all over uh, the teens. And it was hard work. I never heard a complaint, a bad attitude once, any of that. And there was this one 17-year-old who would come every day. He used to, at the start of the week, he would just come and hang around and look angry, look upset. Everything about him, from the way he dressed to the way he carried himself to the expression on his face, said, I hate the world. I hate everything. I hate everything. I'm just angry. But he kept coming back every day to be around our team and to watch our team. And over, over the course of the week, the, the members of the team would talk with him and interact with him and get to know him and share the gospel with him. But when we left, the missionary there told us that this young man received Christ. And when he trusted in Christ, all his friends rejected him. In fact, they said awful things to him, and they threw rocks at him to run him out of town. And our team began to write letters, began to write to this kid to encourage him to keep up the faith. You know, and, 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 and I think about that week and I'm like, you know what? That week was just a taste of living more holy. These, our group, we had no internet, no computers, no phones, nothing for the entire week. All we did was live, use our hands, our feet, our mouth, our minds, everything we had for the glory of God. And what a sweet taste that was. And coming home, my prayer was, I hope the, the sweet taste of how we're more fully to live will continue on. 
See, you don't have to necessarily go somewhere. Right where you are, where God has got you in your workplace, in your school, wherever you are, God wants to use you for his glory right there. To use your hands, your feet, your voice, your mind. Our members for his glory, for his purposes, rather than our own. So he tells us here, use your instruments for righteousness, not unrighteousness. Now he's going to close us here. He's given us these three commands. He's going to close with a word of hope, a word of assurance. In verse 14, he says, For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under the law, but under grace. The Apostle Paul is concluding this section with this great word of encouragement. We're not under the law. This is good news. It's grace that saves us. And it's by God's grace that we are sanctified. Once you trust Christ, you are in this process called sanctification. And how far you go in it is dependent upon how much we realize we are dead to sin. We are dead to sin. Do not allow it to dominate. Do not allow it to rule. You know you have power over sin in your life right now. We have all the power we need over sin right now. But are we living in light of it? Sin is dead. When they want to, uh, in the wild, in Africa, elephants like to live in community. They'll live in large communities and they'll roam as much as 30, 50 miles in a day. That's the way that they're just created to roam over vast territory. But in captivity, they'll take an elephant and they'll take it when it's a baby. When it's small as an elephant can be small. And they'll put a chain around the elephant's neck and they'll take a metal post and put it in the ground. And when that elephant tries to pull away and get away from and go where he wants to, the chain cuts his leg. And it's painful. And the elephant learns, I can't get away from that post. It's got mastery over me. Well, as the elephant grows, the master will then take a wooden stake and just put it in the ground and tie the elephant to it. This is a full-grown 12,000-pound elephant that could pull a tree trunk up out, roots and all. And all he does is take a flimsy little tent peg, put it in the ground, and tie a rope around the elephant's leg, and he won't go anywhere because he remembers the pain. That's all he knows. Sometimes he'll just even take a post. The master will take a post and put it in the ground. No tying to the elephant. The elephant will just stay there by the post. He won't roam from it because he remembers all his life. Whenever he tries to leave that post, there's pain and it hurts and that post dominates him. He could go anywhere he wants to. He could plow over his master. He could run anywhere he wants to, but he can't live how he was designed to live because he won't do it. All our lives, we've been enslaved to sin. Sin has been our master. That's all we know is sin ruling and dominating and reigning over us. But when we come to Christ, we are dead to sin. It's no longer our master. It no longer rules. And sometimes we don't know what that's like. We can't experience it because we don't know how to. We're free to go live at new heights how God has called us to, to live in joy with Him, to live for her, His purposes, His glory, for our life to be completely different. Yet we just stayed right by that post, afraid to roam, afraid to leave, because we do not know any different. He tells us to consider. 
Listen, he says, consider, ponder that you are dead to sin. That is your reality. You're dead to sin and you are alive to God in Christ Jesus. If you're here today and you've trusted in Jesus, if you've trusted that he died for your sins, paid the price for you and rose from the dead, if you've trusted that message and you are a new creation, know that the reality of you is you're dead to sin, you're alive to Christ, live in that. So whenever temptation comes, ponder that. Know this, sin wants to reign in the one place it can still reign for you, your body. Don't let sin, don't give it a foothold in your body. Don't let it rain. And know this, use your instruments. Take your body and use it for God-honoring purposes wherever you are and find your delight and joy in that rather than using your body for unrighteousness. We're we're free. God, God in His goodness and His grace has set us free. My hope and my prayer for myself for my family, for my church family, is that we joyfully live like it. Think of how different our community would be if we, as a church, lived in the reality that we are dead to sin and alive in Christ. Things would start to look different. It would be transformed. We're about to take communion. And as we do, we take a cup of grape juice reminding us of Jesus' blood, some a cracker reminds us of his body, that his body and his blood were broken and shed for us. Because he had victory over death. Death could not hold him down. And as we take communion, Tony's going to come play a, a, a song called Take My Life and Let It Be. And I could think of no better song to help us understand how God sanctifies us. It says, take my life and let it be. Take my moments, take my hands, take my feet, take my lips, take my voice, take my wealth, take everything and let it be used for your glory, for your purposes. That's my prayer for us. So as you, as you come, listen to the words. As you come, confess to God in areas where you've allowed sin to reign and rule and, and acknowledge that, that it's dead and, and, and seek to walk and live in it with the community of believers being encouraged and built up to live as we are truly meant to live free from sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let me pray for us. God, as we come to take communion, we realize that you are a God who, who you desire to commune with us. You, you desire to have fellowship with us, but it's our sin that keeps us from that. Well, Lord, you defeated sin. You defeated it upon the cross. Yet we're still like that elephant that doesn't realize he's free to go wherever he wants to. We still stay stuck in sin. We come back to the same ones over and over again, Lord. Lord, help us to realize that we are dead to sin. Help us to realize your word and, and your people and, and, and prayer, it's alive to us. You are alive in us. And we are alive in you. Lord, I pray for those here today, you haven't trusted you. I pray that you would enliven by your Holy Spirit them to the truth. And Lord, I pray for those here today. They've trusted you, but same sin keeps dominating. It's reigning and it's ruling. Lord, I pray that they'll experience the reality that they are dead to sin and alive in Christ. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.